Content warning. This episode contains gunfire, body horror, and gore. Hey all. So, I know it's been a while since an episode release. I've been busy with university, other projects, and life stuff, but I've got some very exciting news before I take you to this one. I have joined the Faustian Nonsense Network. It's an entertainment network with some really amazing shows and filled with some great people doing some very exciting things. And they have a Patreon. So, as well as extra content from Chain of Being, you also get some fantastic stuff from The Green Horizon, Rank and Vile, Ghost on a Train, The Lavender Tavern, and so much more. I'll put a link in the description so you can take a look and see if you'd be interested. Anyway, without further ado, here is episode 17. He was... different to how I expected. What do you mean? He was less... ethereal. I was expecting more of a detached god kind of vibe. And what was he actually like? He was just a guy, you know? There was something about him, like you could tell he'd seen a lot, been around a lot, but he wasn't as... as distant as I'd have imagined. We're sat in a large, empty room. This borough of the city was evacuated pretty early on. No one wants to get crushed by a falling building. The surrounding sections were still inhabited. No lost, there was no real way to get a full evacuation underway. I had asked if we could rest in an actual house, but Lanralis explained to me that even in disasters, the Viatorians were still extremely careful about privacy. There were very few instances where a representative of the state could actually take lodging in someone's home. For publicly owned spaces like art galleries, things were a bit more lenient though. And so here we are, sat around a portable heater in an empty and crumbling art gallery. Sculptures descend from the ceiling like gymnasts, frozen in time. There's a mural on the wall that's facing me. The fire has bubbled away at the paint, causing the piece to appear warped and changed. Lanralis performs a poem she had been devising, a tradition for her people. Half. Damned. Talking. Wrath in hand. Rhythm and stalking. I'm determined to outlive this. Another name on this lengthening hit list. I clap, and Ikrith just sits there and marvels. And you came up with that on the walk here? That's incredible. They say, with a slight awe in their voice. Ronaldis sits down and smiles bashfully. I knew the structure I wanted to do. All the poems my mother used to tell me were like that, but I'm a bit out of practice. The poem was in Mystic, a very specific meter of poem performed by the Jetta peoples, done in a way that could theoretically go on forever. I am surprised to see, though, that being a Jetta and Lanralis does not have any of the red lines tattooed onto her face. Perhaps she is lucky enough to have not lost any family members before their time. Ikrith catches me staring at Lanralis. Uh, uh, what about you, Adam? Know any poems? I know a few, but I'm not one for performing. Last time I did, I nearly lost my head. I didn't take you for one to panic in front of a crowd. No, I literally nearly lost my head. I was meant to do a poem at the Levathre abdication ceremony, back when it was all the rage to have an immortal do something at an event. The council had lent me out as a sign of goodwill, but and then suddenly a noise comes from the alley the gallery forms with the adjacent landscaper, and we all pause, listening out for further disturbance. Of course, our collective silence provides ample evidence that something is indeed around, but we have to be sure. And then it knocks over a waste disposal tray. We pick up our weapons and rush to the edge of the room, where a hole had been blasted through. We peer over and look down into the alley. 
I only catch a flash of pale skin and torn flesh, but my suspicions are confirmed. One of those mutated children of the Vignadal shivers and stumbles along. From its back, I think I spot some kind of protrusion. I cast a knowing glance at Lanralis, but our eyes are fixed on the shambling horror before us. Hikrit speaks up. Lan, should I engage? Lanralis continues to stare on in horrified silence. Lanralis! She shakes herself from her stupor and assesses the situation. Take it down. We'll go down after and make sure it dies. My head whips round. Wait. We need to remove it before it hurts someone mortal. If we let it go, follow and observe, we can learn more about it, what it actually is. What is there to learn? It seeks to kill and can be killed. Everything else is unimportant. We don't know what we don't know. And how many lives are you willing to sacrifice in order to find out? Three, ten, thirty? I will not carry that burden. Ikrith, fire! Ikrith raises their rifle and aims, their visual compared to the sights to ensure proper accuracy. Just as they fire, I lean past Lanralis and slam my hand up into the rifle. The shot goes wild and shatters the window on the opposite building. The creature jolts and rushes away out of sight. Idiot! Lanralis shouts. Ikrith, pack up your equipment. We're going hunting. She glares at me and I stare back. I promised you I would stop a Vignadar. This is part of that process. Can you repeat that? I'm sorry. You said he promised he would stop something, but you didn't say a name. I... I can't. I don't understand. Why not? It's... like if I try, the words get caught in my chest. Like when you're about to cry and you can't finish your sentence. The name brings you to tears. No, I just... I can't say it. He could, though. When he did, it was like... Like I'd known it all along. We wind through the back alleys and service tunnels of the city, following the trail of the thing we take into calling a Wodel, taken from some old Viatorian myth. We've been underground for a while now, must be a few kilometres at least. There's a trail of bloody mucus that makes tracking easy. However, every so often we'll pause and Ikrinth will patch into the security system to help us align our path. We stand and wait as they take a hook implement and lodge it into a relay box affixed to the wall. I ask a question that's been rattling around my head since I'd first seen them do it. Is that from Adrolite training? Their eyes dart around as they intake information, their visual link rests around their eye and hooks around their ear. A thin bracket shape from which the information is projected out, only activated when in use. Not like the model which I had been using, which constantly projected a display. Uh. They pause, focusing more on the task at hand than on my question. Lanralis answers for them. Ikrinth is quite adept at technology. When they're not an Adrolite, they work as a drone engineer. Just to pay for my pilot lessons. That's the real goal. <laughs> Have you ever considered going to one of the tech cathedrals out of Palaf? She asks as Ikrinth unplugs from the relay box. Uh, I don't know. It's super competitive. You're lucky enough to have been born in a central system and you clearly have a talent for it. I chime in. Why not? I think you could do a lot of good. Anralis smiles at Ikrinth, who looks back at her, totally enraptured. Worst case scenario is you stay here. Yeah, I guess so. The sloping incline leads us out of the service tunnels. We exit onto a crossroads, one of the many points in which a spiderweb of transit lines cross over this old and weathered city. I can tell just from design it's definitely council though. What surprises me is that it seems to be older than the Viatorians' entry into the council. The Viatorians' process of entry was vastly different to the humans. While they were pulled in relatively quickly with very little buffer period due to their dire situation, the Viatorians had taken a great deal of time to deliberate and integrate before they officially joined. The difference was astounding. I had been around for both. 
it might explain further the existence of the Anthronesians and why even the Viatorian traditionalist groups still exist within the scope of the council. Hey, Adam. Ikrint says over their shoulder to me, yeah? You've been in the council for a while now. A while, yeah. Are we any closer to the unified civilization now than we were when you first started working for them? I watched Lanralis tense up slightly, anticipating a repeat of our argument from before when we had just started this journey. I consider telling them what I believe. The council has been working in circles, advancing no further in all the time I had been with them. That the goals of the council are a falsehood intended to give everyone a common point of reference by which they could rally people together. But then I think of what that would do to them. Ikrith is young, just barely qualifying for an Adrolite position. They seem hopeful and I do not want to crush that. A little bit. You have to realise that the unified utopia they talk about is a long-term goal. I pause and try to provide a little more hope. But I mean, look at the Malgaric and the Vince. They've been combined for, what, 600 years? Already something is starting to form there. That's good. I, I hope we can have that with the humans one day. You just have to have hope. And Alice looked at me. I don't recognise the expression. Pride, maybe? No. Surprise of some kind. We cross over and go down one of the thinner roads. I call it a road, it's more of the space between two strips of concrete housing blocks. They slant away from each other, creating several levels of balconies. A banner stretches across some of the balconies on one floor. On it is painted a large slogan. Governor Agroffa doesn't care about Winonian. A border of vines are painted along the edges. And there's a word painted underneath all that which I don't recognise. Pick up my pace to catch up with Lanralis, who marches in between me and Egrith. I tap her on the shoulder and she angles her head towards me, not stopping and not fully looking at me. What word is that? I ask. She peers at it. Traitor. Traitor Governor Agrifa doesn't care for Winonian. It means like the people, the language, that sort of thing. She raises her eyebrows in mild surprise. Gosh, wasn't too long ago that he was the golden child. What did he do? Listen, Adam. I'd love to talk planetary politics with you, but right now we're trying to clear up your mess. By killing that thing, we might have missed out on some vital information. We might find a Vigdadal himself. Oh, yes. Because we've learned so much, haven't we? How informative this trek through the city has been. I know you said you don't see us as insignificant, but right now the lives you have put at risk sure as fuck don't show it. Something screeched from up above and we all raise our rifles to meet it. Viatorian. They tumble down the side, catching on some railings and spinning in midair. The body lands in front of us with a sickening crunch. Ikrinth cries out. Lanralis winces and starts, but quickly regains her composure and moves past Ikrinth, who stands in shock, their knuckles turning pale with the force of their grip. Lanralis kneels down beside the corpse, joints turned and bent at odd angles. A pool of maroon blood begins to form from the back of its cracked head. I walk over and join Lanralis, crouching down in front of the twisted body. I begin to shift it around slightly, looking for signs of any injury besides the trauma of hitting the ground from such a height. Lanralis glances over to the frozen-in-place Ikrinth, who holds out their rifle still. She stands and goes over to them, slowly lowering the barrel of the rifle, loosening their grip. Lanralis holds Ikrinth's face in both hands and looks into their eyes. They meet her gaze. You are strong enough. It seems almost as if she sends the intent through her eyes and hands, seeding the meaning into their very soul. Say it with me. I, I am strong enough. enough. Ikrinth's eyes lose their horror and their attention is now entirely focused on Lanralis, who pulls them in closer and holds the Adrolite in a strong embrace. They freeze for a second before returning the hug, burying their face into Lanralis's neck as tears begin to well up in their eyes. The body twitches in my periphery and I stand. Lanralis! She retracts from the hug and readies her rifle. The body contorts. I watch in horror as a set of sharp teeth push up 
through their gums, pushing away the others that were already there. The spine curves round and it tries to push itself up, managing only to writhe and then collapse. The whole thing is so horrifyingly silent. Besides the rustle of clothes and noises coming from the shattered body of this ex-person, it does not scream as it is pulled into existence. The pain does not seem to bother it. I go closer to it. Its eyes, which were previously darting around, now snap to me, completely transfixed. out a hand, the bones which stretch out, cracking and popping as it extends, the skin tearing in some places and turning pale. Manralis raises her rifle and the thing's eyes snap to her. Almost as if it were a fluid, the wodel lunges forward, caring not for comfort or efficiency. Lanralis barrels forward, throwing a hand out, grabbing it by the throat and lifting it up. She draws her pistol and presses it into the thing's chest. From around a passageway that leads out of this canyon and back into the main street, I spy a flash of pale purple. The wodel we had been following gallops towards us, the protrusions from its back now grown into full wings. It leaps and begins to fly toward me, claws extended this horrible chimera, long wings and torn skin. It lands with a thud and goes to bite at me. I slam the stock of my rifle into its face, shattering the teeth in its mouth. It wails and stumbles back. I take advantage of the space to raise my rifle and fire. Lanralis fights her own battle, as it seems the Wordle had managed to escape her steel grip. Her pistol is still out, but she seems to have taken to the strategy of pummeling it to death, grabbing it by its shattered shoulders and slamming it onto the edge of a raised concrete platform with flowers and various plants growing in the middle. It hits the side with another crunch, shattering more bones. Not that the Wordle seems to notice, as it scrambles like a beetle on its back, desperately trying to kill Lanralis. My own wordle seems gargoyle-like, its face has bulked up unevenly and its teeth protrude from its mouth like fangs. More worryingly, it seems to have shrugged off the bullets like it was nothing. The bullets aren't doing anything! I shout to the group. Ikrinth, in between taking shots at the broken wordle and trying their best to not hit Lanralis, shouts back. Uh, these are non-lethal rounds? They're meant to pacify, not kill! I turn and stare in disbelief. What? We're community officers! We're not soldiers! Who would we need to kill? I, Before I can say anything, my stomach drops and I am very quickly lifted off of my feet. Uh, you've got to be fucking kidding me. I hear Lanralis say exasperatedly over the still corpse of the Woidel, sidearm still smoking. Different rules for Thanes, I suppose. The winged Woidel brings me up high and slams me into the slope side of the building. The rough concrete tears away at the fabric of my trousers. Thanks to the combat mold, the energy that would have torn up my body is dispersed, leading to a slight warmth and tingle but no actual damage. I'll have to thank Lanralis for it later. Uh, should we shoot it down? I hear Ikrin say to Lanralis. Don't you dare! I shout. Our ascent is slow, but still high enough that if it were to drop me, it would hurt like hell and almost definitely shatter a few bones. The Woidel goes to slam me into the wall again. This time, I swing up my legs to meet the sloped wall. I then push away, sending myself into its chest and throwing off its flight. It dips down, and with my momentum, I loosen from its grip slightly, wrapping my arms around its waist and trying my best to pull it down. We wobble jerkily in the air and swing round to the other side of the canyon of apartments. We hit the wall. The bullet zips past. 
Hey, watch it! I scream. You'll be fine. Lanvalis says, her sidearm raised. Don't shoot me! It's fine. I'm a really good shot. Sounds like he could handle himself in combat. Oh, I'm sure he can. But I didn't have time to watch him have an aerial battle, so I shot it down. And besides, we had a medical kit, so not that big a deal. You discharged three lethal rounds from a firearm in front of a civilian. It had to be done. It falls well within mitigating circumstances. That wasn't an accusation, just a prompt for you to corroborate the report from the city surveillance AI. <sighs> yes, I did. And what became of Itchrinth? From what data the AI gave us, we assumed killed in action. Ikrith. Their name was Ikrith. And I'm getting to that. After we had cleaned up after Adam's stupidity, we followed reports of where the battle had led, towards the Giston Recreational Woods. We take another break, this time sheltering at the edge of a woods that stretch up the hill the city is built on. The trees are twisted and geometric, and entirely artificial of course, usually placed to create a sense of natural beauty on a planet that has none, typical of a terraformed planet. I understand the point, but I also find it slightly unsettling. You can always tell something is missing. These artificial forests often feel soulless. Lanralis won't stop staring into the darkness of the woods. Her knee bounces up and down before she stands up. I'm going for a walk. She takes her rifle and heads into the woods. The light attached to the barrel of her rifle illuminating her path away from us until it disappears, unable to escape the multitudes of twisting trunks and angular leaves. How long does she usually hold a grudge for? Uh, I think she'll get over it. You did hold your own against that Wodel, anyway. Shows you're not as entirely reckless as she thinks. So, you two are close then? I guess so. Yeah. Their gaze flicks to the heat lamp and they shift slightly. You guess so. Let's just say... I wish we were closer. Oh, I see. I'm assuming she doesn't feel the same way. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that, but... Yeah, you'll get over it, I'm sure. Precocious young Agilite such as yourself is many people's thing, I'm sure. You don't understand, Adam. Ikrin says, a slight catch in their throat. Almost as if I had said nothing at all. As if they'd been waiting a long time to say this. The thoughts building up in their head for ages and now, given the chance to voice them, leaps at the opportunity. What it means to me to simply be around her. I want nothing more than to look at her all day. I feel completed by her proximity. So, imagine then, when I hold out my hand, I am instead given the label of subordinate or friend. Compared to the feelings I have for her, it is cold and harsh. And any interaction and affection between us tastes like ash in my mouth. It is tainted by the knowledge that she will never look at me with the same total encapsulating love that I do when I catch even a glimpse of her smile. How old are you? Their face doesn't completely lose its melancholy, but a slight twinge of frustration is added. Don't. They hold up a hand and there are tears welling in their dark eyes now, only really noticeable as they begin to stream down their face. Don't dismiss my feelings because of my inexperience. That does not make it any less real. Don't 
try to frame me as some petulant child who weeps because they don't get their way. I truly love her. And that's the problem. Because if I stay, then what happens? I hide my feelings and it hurts for as long as I am with her. I stick around and see her in the arms of others, or I just wait at her side in the hopes that she will begin to feel something for me. Living in silent angst for a situation that might not ever come. I can't half love her, Adam. I can't feign friendship when all I want is to be in her arms and for her to love me. And if I request a transfer to a different unit, then I may never see her again. An idea which, even at the thought of it, causes me pain. So... So what am I to do, Adam? I look ignorance in their tearful eyes. I can see the pain. Of course it's real. As real as any. I have felt it. And countless of those proceeding from me have felt it. I feel it now, looking at them. Somewhere in a heart I had thought was locked off from this sort of thing. You can't live your life according entirely to someone you can't have, and I know the pain. Believe me, I was the first to feel it. That was certainly not true, but it causes a slight smile to appear on Ikrin's face. And I know the actual, practical details are frustrating and painful and confusing. And I know the fact that Lanralis shows just a little affection and friendliness makes it all the worse. But you have to realise that you were young. Even to other Viatorians, you were young. There are plenty of other people. The universe is such an incredibly vast place. I don't want other people. I want her. Ikrin bursts out. Yes, and as you've made perfectly clear, that can't work. But if there's a chance that if I stick around long enough, maybe something could grow, I... And what happens to you in that time? What emotional strain does that put you through, hmm? You're strong, but I can think of very few people I have met that could handle that sort of torment. Ikrinth can't seem to look me in the eyes, perhaps from the shame of crying in front of a stranger. Of course, talking about and showing emotions isn't suppressed and is in fact actively encouraged in general society. However, it's generally frowned upon to suddenly start crying on a random shoulder, if nothing more than because of the emotional distress it might cause the owner of said shoulder. After we finish with this mission, I think you should take a week's leave. If she does not feel the way you wish, then you need to quell those feelings. But what a waste! What a terrible loss for all that love to just... die! I have all this energy that... that has built up. I... I would grieve its loss as if... as if... Ikrin struggles to find the right analogy. It's like the loss of a work of art. It has the potential to do great things, but it can never be. There's a problem you'll have to deal with, I'm afraid. They scrunch up their nose and stare into the heat lamp, their face flushed with a mix of the heat and embarrassment. But I don't want to. And so you will suffer for it. We sit for a moment in silence, listening to the night air. Take each aspect about the situation that upsets you and in some way destroy it. Either through tears or through some other activity. Write, paint, scream your feelings into the trees. Do something with each of these elements and it will start to feel better. Even if you choose not to leave, and you choose to stay by her side, it will help you. I sit back and consider myself. Where the fuck did this all come from? I think about my long and storied life. I recognise what Ikrin feels. I have spent a great deal of time feeling and watching others feel, but doing nothing about it. Busy just withering in my own torment. 
and destroyed the lives of four of my closest friends with what happened in Eden. I destroyed our home. I killed everyone I had grown to love with my desire to know. Such a foolish and petty thing. But right now, in this moment, I am the closest I have ever been to actually fucking doing something. I can feel the weight begin to be slowly lifted off my chest. But I'm not done yet. A light appears through the trees as Lanrales returns from her scouting mission. From the light bobbing up and down rapidly, I can see she's running. Adam! Her voice is slightly muffled by the barrier of the trees. Come here, I found Aritho. Not needing any more encouragement, I grab my rifle and start running. <laughs> I'll just pack up then. Ikrit says sarcastically. I turn and look at them. Leave it! They stand and start running with me. I can tell they're keeping pace. Go, leave me behind! With that, they move ahead of me and go to catch up with Lanrales, following the light of their rifle. The closer I get, the more the atmosphere becomes unpleasant. There's a strong sense of dread in the air. The smell of burn, hot dust, intense light. My skin is warm, hot, almost burning. I come up behind Lanrales and Ikrin, knelt at the edge of a wide crater. I join them and see what they see. It's definitely Aratho's common form. I recognise him from the vision, his long, centipede-like body giving way to a more humanoid torso, bulky and with a texture like wood. His skin is mottled and decorated, his skull-like jaw wide open, and the top half of his head is a complex array of intertwined, branch-like horns. He stands regal, sword in both hands, draped in rags and wrapped in bones. His torso has been split and torn open, revealing an intense golden light at his core. The light illuminates nothing, and instead seems to be contained entirely within his form. It looks like the portal is created by Epicurosa, but instead of those dark spheres, it is a resplendent gold plane. I feel nothing as I draw closer, and Rallis and Ikrinth trailing behind me. I know how it feels to be around them, how the atmosphere warps, how time seems to almost pass incorrectly, either too fast, too slow, or not at all. Is he okay? Ikrinth asks hesitantly, looking up at the hunched-over god. No, I say also peering at his face. His common form still seems alive, but there is no doubt in my mind that he is not here. It stands completely still, untethered from its connection to his celestial form. It remains inert. This is bad. This is really fucking bad. What? What do you mean? He overpowered a god. He he rendered him powerless or something. He killed Arthur? What is death to a god? You can't think of it in non-divine terms. He created his common form from his celestial one. His body is here, but he isn't. If he's not here, in this body, and he's not in his celestial form, I pause as the implications rush through my mind. Then, I don't know where he is. A screech comes from over the edge of the crater, and a wodel crawls over, long arms and legs twisted and broken into animalistic shapes. And then another, stumbling on two legs, its arms extended and mutated into scythe-like claws. And then another, and another, and another. Soon, the whole sloped side of the crater is filled with maybe 50 of these poor, tortured creatures, created and then quickly abandoned. Horrible forms, mere side effects of something far beyond them. My mind races through what's left in my bandolier. There's nothing. No secret relic or ancient totem that will help us. There is no way we can outrun all of those. No way we can be saved. I look behind me to the portal. We have to go through. Let's go, now. I move to go through and Ikrin follows. They'll just follow us through, Lanralis says. She draws her pistol, raises the sights to her eye, and drops the closest Wodel. I'll stay behind. You two go. She fires on another two Wodels, a bullet hitting one in the chest and skimming off the hardened exoskeleton of another. Lan! Ikrinth goes to say. I will not have you die, Ikrinth. Not while I'm still standing. She pulls off her shoulder cape and taps her holographic council seal, which flickers into life. She stands proudly, sidearm readied. <sighs> I killed.
kill for a sword. I don't want to lose you! Ikrint says through tears as I pull them towards the portal. As long as the river flows and the flesh decays, I shall not perish. Before we both enter the portal, Lanralis looks over her shoulder. Remember your promise to me, Adam. Of course, I say, as I pass through. At which point we showed up. I held out on my own for a little while, but yes, the timing was rather impeccable. We'd never let a thane die. Uh-huh. So, now that you've been debriefed, what's next for you? Once I've recovered from the damage, you mean? Maybe I'll take a vacation. Might visit the old family temple on Aristophsis. How would you like a job? I have a job. We were thinking something a little more involved. Something a bit more military? I'm not a soldier. We're not asking you to fight. There's a war on the horizon, Thane. Something the Council hasn't really had to deal with before. We think you would be best suited to help us gather as much intel as we possibly can before the fighting starts. I'm listening. Lanralis was played by Kayla Valderas. Malgaric Council Agent was played by Avalon Willowbloom. Ikrinth was played by Briar Zachary. The Wodles were played by Avalon Willowbloom, Amy Kinch, Stephen Lewis, and Catherine Stanley. Avigna Dahl was played by Glyn Pritchard. Sound design, writing, and Adam Delta 5 played by Kai Gwillen Pritchard. An extra special thanks to our patrons, Teresa Scheiben, Anthony Hyde, and Zachary Fortiscom. Email us at chainofbeingofficial at gmail.com for inquiries and stuff. Follow the podcast on Twitter at chainofbeing. We are a proud member of the Faustian Nonsense Network. Thank you so much for listening. We're in a shed partway up a valley. The wind outside is fierce, but it buffets against the shed walls and merely whistles through the cracks in the wood panelling. All around the forest creaks and scuffles, but it's safe inside. At least it feels that way. January fusses with something. He's a heavyset guy, you can tell by his footsteps. And nervous. His hands shake. His breathing is sharp and quick, as if he's keeping an anxiety attack at bay. He mumbles to himself as he sets up the radio. He's never done this before. Hey there, folks. I'm Seal Hendry, and what you just heard was my incredibly detailed stage directions from the first episode of Ethics Down, complete with sound design from the brilliant Kai Gwillem Pritchard just to set the scene a little. I'm sure you'll all agree that it would sound much better being brought to life by voice actors, so it's excellent luck that we happen to be crowdfunding for that right now. Ethics Town is a cosmic horror podcast about identity, accountability, and black and white morality. We want to tell a story about telling stories, and how easily a narrator can change the shape of morality. Listeners will follow January, a tired and wired ethics local, and Artemis, a young girl lost in the woods as they try to unravel what exactly is going on down in the town of Ethics now that a suspicious new figure has taken office. Statistics and probability are exchanged for conspiracy theory logic as the pair try to explain weirder and weirder happenings. If you'd like to hear more, please check out our Seed and Spark campaign and consider joining. We have loads of cool things to share with you, including a tier that offers scripts just filled with detailed notes like the ones I read previously. And we would so love your help with pushing our show into the production stage. 
You'll be able to find more details about our crowdfunder and show by following us on social media. You can find us everywhere at Ethics Town Pod. Thank you. We're going to tell you a story. Are you listening? <laughs>